Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. All right, folks, this is Steve, the Rogue Scholar. Folks, I'm very sorry I couldn't go live earlier today. Very, very busy at work, life, shit was going on. And I am like super tired right now. But I had to go live. You know, the fucking interest rates getting ready to go up. All the lending, all the loans. If you didn't lock your loans in before, um, they went ahead and started jacking them up. You're done. All those folks that are in the business of making money as uh, loan granters for, uh, you know, mortgages and so forth. Regular people, you may not like the industry that they're in. Regular people, they yank off the floor. Those people are going to be without jobs. They're going to be not finding any kind of work. People are not going to be refinancing when interest rates are shooting up through the roof okay fed uh, is jacking rates up half a point which is just insane just insane and all of these maneuvers um that are taking place right now the federal government stopping spending literally halting in its tracks okay biden reducing the deficit 1.3 trillion dollars the bathtub of the economy is going to dry up and the only thing that will be there to supplement the economy will be very, very high interest rate credit. All this stuff right here, currently payments are going through, credit people are not defaulting yet. It's only a matter of time. And if you go back to when Bill Clinton was in office and Bill Clinton ran his balanced budget and ran his uh, surplus you saw that he created the seeds for the recession that bush inherited whether you like bush or not fact is that bill clinton handed bush a recession and it was a recession of government making as all recessions really are in the end because a recession is literally a policy failure okay and I've talked about this countless times, but I want to be really explicit here. There are three ways to get money into the economy. One is federal spending. Government's not doing it right now. Two is being a net exporter. We're not a net exporter right now. That's not going to happen. Now, we may start exporting more now that we've cut Russia off. But those exports, are nowhere near fast enough. It's a lagging indicator. It's not going to prop up the economy. It's just not. It's not going to matriculate through the economy nearly fast enough. And it won't be enough to offset the overall because largely, I mean, the U.S. is a net importer. We create very little and we import very much. So 
we're not bringing money in through exports. And that means there's one other way of getting money into the economy, and that is taking out private debt. You see that Biden, even in his efforts to quote unquote eliminate student debt, it's very targeted, very, very small, but people are talking like it's a really big deal. What what he might do, even what he might do, what he's considering. But what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. I want you to understand. Inflation's not about printing money, but you've been convinced it is. Inflation is largely gouging. And it's largely the fact that monopoly power allows them to adjust prices with very little pushback. So the government feels like the only way to control inflation is to cut down on the amount of money in circulation, which what that does in essence is suck us back, causes us, little people, regular small people, to get squashed. Now, Keynes would believe that you would spend in downturns and you would tax back in upturns. Well, this is a downturn. And we're going to double down on the downturn by austerity. And so by doing this, you're going to put a lot of really, really, really bad circumstances on little people that cannot handle that kind of pressure. I'm one of them. And it's literally costing me my health. I'm, I'm literally, if I could afford to go to therapy right now, I'd be at therapy. I don't know what good it would do because the fact is, is that it's not like I'm crazy. It's I'm suffering. It's that I... I can't figure a way out of this mess myself. And I look around and people don't understand. They're caught up in the Ukraine stuff and they're flying their yellow and blue flags all around. And I mean, my God, I was reading something in the Washington Post sports section, but the Washington Post, and there was an article about how season ticket holders for the Capitals can't root for Alex Ovechkin because he's Russian. This is the kind of distractions that are going on in this nation right now. This is the kind of bullshit that's happening. And ultimately, housing was already being choked off. And so now when you stop the ability to buy and refinance homes at a reasonable rate, and you cut back and you create the recessions, this is when they start seeing the mortgages blow up. This is when you start seeing people lose their homes again. And this is when the Black Rocks of the world buy them up again. And you already see places passing laws against cohabitation. In other words, roommates. The rent's too damn high. Well, too bad you can't get a roommate now. They're literally passing laws about this. You thought the little spiky things in the park benches were bad. This is really bad. This is people trying to use their smarts, use their brains, use whatever they have available to them to try to survive. And it's being taken away as well. We have no champion right now. Okay. And you know, I'm watching. Jordan up there in Ohio covering Nina Turner's uh, race. 
And, you know, if you're into electoral politics and you still think that there's people that are going to somehow or another reverse this, you should do everything you can to help Nina Turner get elected. But Nina Turner isn't going to change what I'm talking about. Nina Turner doesn't understand MMT. And if she does, she's a very unvocal supporter. She's a very silent supporter. Okay. And I hope that changes. But honestly, you don't have anybody in power with a mind that understands how to actually make the economy flourish. Their idea here is this. We can't tame big business. We can't tame the wealthy from gouging and raising prices and all this stuff. The only way we can tame them is to make it so that the little people are so broke that they have to lower prices. So in other words, they have to make us suffer, immensely suffer, to finally get the rich to say, well, I don't really give a fuck if they suffer, but I certainly want to keep making money, and if business is drying up, that's not good for me. So now all of a sudden they got to find that four Ps of marketing again, and price being one of them, they'll lower their prices. That's the hope, but it's going to come at an extreme cost. They're going to make it harder on you and I to not just eat, not just put a roof over our heads, but they're going to jack up fines, fees, and penalties as well. This is all part of what is known as austerity that most people in the U.S. don't even think about the term. It's not a term we use very much. I'm trying to popularize it. I'm trying to make fetch happen. That's why my tagline on uh, Twitter is austerity is murder. But the average person doesn't put all these pieces together. They just know they're angry. They just know that their paycheck isn't getting them as much as they thought. You see the shrinkflation. I don't know if you're familiar with shrinkflation, but shrinkflation is what you, when you're used to getting a large ice cream sundae and it comes in a 16-ounce cup. And the next time you go back to get a large one, it's in a 12-ounce cup, and they still charge you the same amount, and they call it a large. That's shrinkflation, okay? That kind of stuff has been going on. It's going on even more now than it had previously been. So not only are you not getting what you pay for, actually, you're getting the new thing that you're paying for under false pretenses. They're hoping your mind remembers what it was and that you don't get caught up in it, but you caught up in it enough that you'll buy it still, even though you're getting less for the same amount, shrinkflation, okay? But this is no joke. When they start raising the interest rates and they stop being able to refinance homes, so much of our economy has been based on people being able to tap into the equity in their homes and being able to spend that money. We didn't get uh, checks. So we certainly didn't have a bunch of money just laying around based on COVID payments, you know. So ultimately, we're staring down the barrel of being the fodder for them to bring down inflation. We will. Us. <clears throat> Sorry about the runny nose there. All because some rich person with a pen marked up the price and said, that's the new price because we can get that. See, people think that printing money causes inflation. What it is, is that rich people realize 
that there's more money out there to grab. And so what do they do? They say, well, we're going to get ours. So everybody starts jacking up prices, trying to get theirs until they bring the economy to a screeching halt. And then their product no longer sells. And then they have what they think is equilibrium, this price equilibrium. Again, sorry, I've got a little bit of a runny nose. It's been like three days since I've slept. It's been a rough go, man. A rough, rough go. Um, you know, I, I was trying to uh, refi my home, and it's I don't think it's going to work out. I don't think it's going to work out at all. And, um, you know, the tax man cometh, and it's just like all these bullets pointed straight at me and it's like oh my god what am i gonna do and uh people just don't realize that they you know until it affects them it's just something else that somebody else is going through but the reality is is that the conditions that are out there are going to put this on a lot of us and uh you know unfortunately there's a uh there's a group of people out there that are doing pretty well. And uh, they might even be allies at some level. But they're tone deaf. They don't understand how evil this stuff is. Okay, guys? They don't understand how painful this is for regular people. They don't understand the impact. And they would like us all to speak kindly to one another they would like us all to speak with manners and grace and uh you know i think it's time we stop speaking with manners and grace you know i think it's time that we start letting people see how painful it really is and not just hiding it and putting on air so people think we're okay I think it's time that these people that are comfortable realize that their neighbors are suffering. Don't hide that shit. Let it out. See, because people believe that everybody's okay because everybody acts like they're okay. They put on their mask. They front. You know? Until people see the pain, until people feel the pain, it's not real to them. I've spent a decade easily. Actually, it's going back to 2008, 2009, but I have spent the bulk of the 2000s trying to make people understand what austerity is and that we can indeed have nice things. And that the pain is optional, that the government could do these things. I have grown so cynical about our government, and I've grown even more cynical at people that believe in the electoral system and electoral process that forsake any concept of organizing beyond their political parties. That, uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like that one nail that they're just going to smack back down into the board because I just don't see enough people out there. Everybody's looking for a political party. Everybody's looking for the next candidate to save them. We don't have time for, I don't have time for, I, I, I don't have, I don't have time for it. 
you might i don't and uh you know the more i think about what we're up against and the more i realize um how tone deaf people are how absolutely belligerent and unwilling to learn our movement in particular is the left i used to think it was just the right wing that was dense and unwilling but i look and i realize that the herd goes where the herd goes i mean you know this whole zelensky ukraine russia thing yeah i'm sure it's important it is important but the very 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 important things that are going on to the us poor it's all connected and we're so heavily focused on the who done it and the 900 member azov battalion that we're ignoring what's happening right under our noses right now. We're so wrapped up and steeped in things we can't do anything about, being sleuths, that we're not organizing and fighting back on this thing. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be biblical. It's going to be biblical. You got to realize when you choke one sector and the employment in that sector, starts going into you know very very bad financial conditions personally at their home level that cascades beyond because one person's income becomes their spending and their spending becomes another's income and so on and so forth and that's how money matriculates through the economy when people start becoming savers because they're afraid to spend the economy contracts once again. Once the economy starts contracting once again, then everything starts going to hell in a handbasket. All the folks watching stupid shit on television, they're going to miss every bit of this. And then it's going to hit them broadside. And we'll be to those that pay attention because you're going to have to deal with it in real time. You're going to have to see the fucking tidal wave coming, and you're going to have to experience all the tone deafness from everyone around you. You're going to have to be screaming, the redcoats are coming, the redcoats are coming, only to be ignored. That's what this does. That's what we're up against. You're up against your neighbors. You're up against your family members. You're up against your friends. You're up against your government. You're up against everyone. And the thing is that we're all going to deal with it. But because, because we won't take the time to learn this stuff and find out how to fight back, there is no serious organizing around this. Even the people that know it are largely too white gloved to organize in the streets to make this a real battle. Most of us, sadly, myself, my health is not going to allow me to go running down the street doing the things I used to do. And other people, they just want to go where their friends are, where all the action is. And the action is in the James Bond novels. It's not in the real shit that's going on. 
I don't know how to penetrate that bubble. I mean, I've been anti-imperialist for <laughs> almost all the work we do is anti-imperialist. And yet we're not considered a viable anti-imperialist organization. My message isn't considered anti-imperialist. And the people that are focusing on being anti-imperialist could give a fuck about the economy. Could give a fuck about it because it's, it's tough to learn. It's not fun, I guess. It's not exciting. But it's going to be exciting when people start suffering. And for folks like myself, who never, never got right after 2008 and 2009. I mean, folks, never got right. You know, a person is not meant to live feral like that for 10 years, running from an axe, wondering if today is their lucky day. That kind of thing takes years off your life. It keeps you feeling sick and unstable. And there's millions of us out there that are feeling exactly the same way. And yet everybody's fucking focused on this Azov Battalion bullshit. What are you going to do about the Azov Battalion? You're going to jump in your fucking, you know, bicycle and fucking make it over there and do something about it? This is here and now. This is your neighbors. This is everybody. This is the people that are already at death's door that are going to be really, really squashed. And then after they squash you and you're evicted from your homes, BlackRock will come in and buy them up at an auction when they foreclose on you. And then they'll rent it back to somebody for $1,000 more a month than what you were paying in your mortgage. People tried to tear this organization down and every one of them, I hate. I hate every last one of them. I hate them. People that talk shit about us, I hate them. I, I'm not even hiding it anymore. I hate them for what they've done. They didn't like me. They didn't like my personality. They didn't like my style, whatever. I'm telling you right now, I hate every last one of them. This organization had a chance to really be ahead of this stuff and out front and lead the charge, but it got whittled away and chipped away and fucked with. And years and years and years of people attacking and talking shit has taken an organization that has tried relentlessly to bring this information out there and has really, really harmed our ability and our reach. We had 130,000 people on Facebook. They're basically stranded over there because we can't reach them through Facebook algorithms. 130,000 followers. I think what, we got like, what, 13,000 on YouTube because of the fucking, you know, the way they throttle us? Getting this message out to people is incredibly challenging. I don't really give a shit about the fucking, you know, alt media wars where they're fighting each other. I don't care. Dudes, guys, guys, I'm telling you right now for real. 
I remember what it was like looking up at the unfinished ceilings in a basement, at those rafters, and wondering how long the rope needed to be to take myself out. I remember that like clear as day. That's what austerity does to people. You stop seeing hope. You stop feeling hope. And all you do, all you do is begin to think about why wake up in the morning? What, what is there to do? And it sounds selfish, I'm sure, to some people. But until you feel that desperation, until you feel that hopelessness, you don't know what you're talking about. That's what's coming again. That's what's coming again. And you know, every article that goes out there and lies and says that we have inflation because of printing money creates a whole new crop of idiots that believe it. Because the evidence is there, right? There's inflation. Why these fucks aren't smart enough to realize that the vast majority of people, the vast majority of them, are just trying to put food on the table. They don't have any reserves. They're on very tenuous footing. The idea of printing money, nobody fucking printed 22 trillion, Jesus Christ. No, they did not print $22 trillion. First of all, this is very challenging because people are just really wrapped around the axles and I get it. I understand. I completely understand. Printing money has nothing to do with this. There's only so many ways you can get money into the economy. Number one, Congress has to spend that money into the economy. That's one. The other is private debt. That's not printing money. That's issuing IOUs that have to be paid back and zeroed out. That's not printing money. That's bank loans. The federal government did not print $22 trillion. It doesn't print anyway, by the way. See, even quantitative easing is like moving the chairs on the Titanic. It's swapping short-term debt for long-term debt. It's changing the form of debt. It's not printing money. And unfortunately, you hear guys like Richard Wolf talking this shit and then everybody repeats and he's got a huge audience. So bad messaging makes it out faster than good messaging constantly. And so we can never really fight the real battle that's at play. But I can tell you right now, the rich understand this game and they're going to gouge and gouge and gouge until they've made it so we're all so down here, unbelievably incapable of doing anything that they finally drop prices and then they all pop the champagne and say, see, we killed inflation. 
But inflation comes from a pen. If you notice, the reason why they have record profits right now is not because they were bleeding out because of cost overruns. You could see record profits. In fact, there's an article in The Guardian. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, corporate profits. Inflation. The Guardian. And there it is. So I will share my screen here real quickly. At least I'll try to anyway. Give me a second here. Oh, boy. I wish this was not as uh, painful, but it is painful. I don't know if you guys see this or not, but this is pretty ugly here, what I'm about to show you. And it says, revealed top U.S. corporations raising prices on Americans even as profits surge. It says, as inflation shot to new peak in March, cost increases. Hold on, let me shake this over a little bit. Uh, here we go. As American, as inflation shot to a new peak in March, cost increases exacted a deep toll on the economy, eating into most Americans' wages, further imperiling a financially vulnerable, the financially vulnerable. But for many of the U.S. largest companies and the uh, shareholders, it has been a very different story. One widely accepted narrative holds that companies and consumers are sharing an inf inflationary pain, but a Guardian analysis of top corporations' financial, um, excuse me, corporations' financials and earnings calls reveals most are enjoying profit increases even as they pass on costs to customers, many of whom are struggling to afford gas, food, clothing, housing, and other basics. The analysis of the Security Exchange Commission filings. For 100 U.S. corporations found net profits up by a median of 49%. And in one case, by as much as 111,000%. Those increases came as companies saddled customers with higher prices and all but 10 executed massive stock buyback programs or bumped dividends to enrich investors. And earnings calls, Executives detailed how, even as demand and profit rose post-vaccine, they passed on most or all inflationary costs to customers via price increases. Some took the opportunity to add even more on top. Margins, the company's share of converted uh, sales converted to profits, also improved for the majority of companies analyzed by The Guardian. Economists who reviewed the data say it is more evidence of a clear reality. Consumers are taking a financial hit as companies and shareholders profit or are large or are largely shielded. It's obvious that corporations are trying to pass on any form of short-term pain they might be feeling, and that's serving the top wealthiest class instead of those in need of fair wages or products that are affordable 
said Krista Brown, a policy analyst with the American Economic Liberties Project. Companies' profit growth has far outpaced workers' wages. And look at this. Steel Dynamics, 809%. Albertson Food Grocery, 671 Amazon, 333. <laughs> Look at this. Chevron, 140. This is ridiculous. Look at this. Dr. Pepper, 83%. Home Depot, 38% increase. U.S. worker wages, 1.6. Cheesecake Factory went down 96%. Okay. Anyway, I'm not going to spend any more time on this. I will quickly put this link into the chat for you guys here to look at. There you go. So let me go ahead and get out of this real quick. Stop sharing screen. So if you think about what I'm saying to you, please stop saying it's about printing money. Seriously, please. If you see someone say it's about printing money, please stop. Don't let them do that. Don't let them hurt us anymore. Don't let their ignorance be a bullet in our head. You know, the government can do anything it wants, literally, quite literally. It could do anything it wants. It could put a price cap on anything it wants. It could subsidize anything that it wants. There's nothing that prevents our government whatsoever other than political will. That's it. There's nothing that prevents our government other than political will to do the most basic stuff. You know, the last time we quote unquote printed money was in like 1934 in the gold standard. I mean, literally people have this wackadoo idea that they just roll print stuff off, put it in pallets and send it off to the bank. That's not how it's done. I've shown you this a countless times. It's literally like this. Okay. With a keyboard, they mark accounts up at the fed. They mark them down over there to the treasury. The money is spent into existence. The idea of printing money, you know? Oh, my God. Hold on. The point is they have processed through 80% of every dollar ever spent in the last two years. Homie. Okay. Homie. Anyway, I, there, there's a, like a whole cool attitude out there about this stuff. I don't do the Bitcoin shit. Okay, so spare me this stuff. I mean, this is the idea. I bet you there's people out there that would still tell me that there's some sort of thing about debasing a free-floating currency. I bet you there's still people out there that think they can debase a non-based currency. It's shameful that people still believe it. It's the year 2022. 2022. We've been off the gold standard since 1972. We've been on a free-floating fiat currency. Well, we've been on a fiat currency forever, but we're on a free-floating fiat currency since the end of the Bretton Woods Accord in 72. And countless 
articles out there. In fact, one article that I would recommend if you want to know what's getting ready to happen. There's a great article. It's in Business Insider. I'll go ahead and share this real quickly. Um, I think everybody should make this part of their repertoire of things to always remember. I think that there's a lot of people out there that still don't understand this, but we're going to do it. We're going to show it. We're going to show it because it's too important not to. And this article right here, I think I have shared more times than you will ever know. I mean, unbelievable amounts of times I've shared this. Um, hopefully, are you all able to see this? Because if not, I will make sure you can here. No, thanks. We don't want to do that. So the untold story of how Clinton's budget destroyed the American economy. And this is old. Now look at the date on this. September 5th, 2012. Guy named Joe Wiesenthal, very, 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 very smart economic mind, knows his shit, strongly recommend following him. I'm going to stretch this out a little bit. So he says, Bill Clinton is giving the keynote speech at the Democratic National Convention tonight, again, September 5th, 2012. Bill Clinton is giving the keynote speech at the Democratic National Convention tonight. The idea is to make people feel nostalgic for the last time when the economy was really booming and hope that some of that rubs off on Obama. However, in the New York Post, Charlie Gasparino uses the occasion to remind everyone that the seeds of our current economic malaise were planted during the current year, Clinton years. Basically, it was under Clinton that Fannie and Freddie really began blowing the housing bubble, issuing epic amounts of mortgage-backed debt. The story that Gasparino tells us basically, liberal Bill Clinton thought he could use government to make everyone a homeowner, and so naturally this ended in disaster. Gasparino specifically cites the Controversial Community Reinvestment Act, a popular conservative boogeyman. How did they do this? Through rigorous enforcement of housing mandates, such as the Community Reinvestment Act, and by prodding mortgage giants Fannie and Freddie to make loans to people with lower credit scores and to buy loans that had been made by banks and later innovators like Countrywide. The housing department was Fannie and Freddie's top regulator, and under Cuomo, the mortgage giants were forced to start ramping up programs to issue more subprime loans to the riskiest borrowers. That's interesting, but the truth is more complicated and much more interesting. Clinton's budget legacy. In addition to being remembered for a strong economy, Bill Clinton is remembered as the last president to preside over balanced budgets. In other words, the son of a bitch reduced the deficit to the point where the the amount that we took in in revenue exceeded the amount we spent into the economy, okay? And that is the makings of austerity. That is austerity. It says, given the salience of the national debt issue in the American politics today, the surpluses are a major mark of pride for the former president and arguably the entire country. Sad. They shouldn't be. No shit. Joe, way to go. No shit. They should not be happy about that bullshit. 
I think it's safe to say that we're still suffering the harmful effects of the Clinton budget surpluses, says Stephanie Gelton, an economic professor at University of Missouri, Kansas City, now at Stony Brook. To understand why, you must fir- you first need to understand the components of GDP look like this. And I'm not going to read all this stuff. You guys want to read it? Again, I'm going to put this link right now. Let me put it in the chat right now so you guys can read it at your own And we can talk about Roe another time. You've got another problem here, guys and gals, with all due respect. They aren't overturning Roe yet. There's a backdoor thing. Wouldn't shock me at all if they tried to. But let's get back to this article because it's really important. It says, in the above equation, C is private consumption spending, I is investment spending, G is government spending, and the XM is exports minus imports. And essentially, the trade surplus or surplus as the really bad editor. I want to put an L there so badly. The surplus, trade surplus. Here is a chart of the government budget around the years during and right after Clinton, in case you need a reminder that the government was in surplus near the end of his tenure. See that? That right there is surplus. Right there. And so all of a sudden, right after that, bam. So if the government is in surplus, it means that the government is taking in more cash than it's spending, which is the opposite of stimulus. It is also well known that the U.S. trade deficit exploded during the 90s, which means that the XM was also a huge drag on GDP during his years. Now, I'm going to come back over here momentarily and stop this for a second. I want you to think about this. Most people believe that taxes fund spending because they don't understand their ass from their elbow. They've been convinced that when they pay taxes, those taxes are recycled and reused. and They're spent back into the economy and repurposed and whatever. But they're not. They're literally deleted. So when Clinton had a surplus, what did he do? He literally deleted money from the economy. See, the government doesn't spend any money unless there's a bill to spend money. Unless there's an actual spending bill that passes through Congress and the Senate and gets signed into law by the president, that is not money that is going to be spent. You've just deleted money out without a spending bill. So like if the bathtub is this full, it takes bath water out. That's your bathtub. You're now in like one inch of bath. And you're trying to keep scrub. Your, have you ever been in a bathtub when it's cold in the bathroom and you're like trying to get that quick scrub in there as the water's draining down? That's what it's like a shitty bath, man. A really, really shitty bath. So anyway, let me get back to this. I just want you all to understand because people are not going to get it. They're going to think, well, shit, Bill Clinton had a surplus. All that money's just sitting there and Bush wasted it. No. Taxation deletes money. It drains it out of the bottom of the bathtub. It doesn't get recirculated. Literally, new money is spent in. Old money is taxed out, destroyed, shredded, gone. See Estella. Okay? That's how it works. Oh, God. 
you know what? I'm not going to, I love Steve Cutler live. Steve Cutler going to go and down probably gets a lot more clicks and stuff like that. Saying the hyperbolic stuff, go out there and look up Metabunk. Anywho, um, I'm going to go ahead and reshare the screen here because I'm talking about something specific. I wish Steve would take a moment to hear. Let's go ahead and read this some more. So the government is taking more cash than it's spending, which is the opposite of stimulus. It's also well known that the U.S. trade deficit exploded during the 90s, which means that the XM was also a huge drag on GDP during his years. There's a trade bounce. Look at this right there. That is a huge, huge trade deficit. We are now around $500 billion per year in trade deficit. I mean, trade deficit, bottom line is, is that people buy what they buy from us. We sell what we sell from us. We are literally importing $500 billion a year more than we're exporting. And it's that money, in essence, leaves the economy. And without having it backfilled somehow with federal spending, it ends up being private credit creation, which is you and I taking out. That's why you always see people saying, isn't 97% of the money in circulation from banks, blah, blah, blah. Yes, it's a policy decision, a very bad policy decision known as neoliberalism. So let's just keep it real. Yo, that's where that is at. So the trade deficit, uh, trade deficit was subtracting from GDP and the government was sucking up more money from the private sector than it was pushing out. There is only one sector of the economy left to compensate. I just said this. I don't even need to read this. I'll read it anyway. The private consumption and private consumption compensated for the drags of the government and trade in two ways. First, the household savings rate collapsed during the Clinton years. Yes, because they're trying to make you spend any money you've held. So anybody that even had an inch of room is being forced to spend that money. The people don't have an inch of room are getting really screwed. You notice how personal savings rate was up here? By the end, it was down to like 1%. Even more ominously, household debt began to surge. See, this is what happens when they cut off the federal debt, federal money, federal spending, private debt goes through the roof. Now, the thing about private debt, let's just say this for the record here. The thing about private debt is that you and I only have a certain amount we're able to take on before they say no more. So if our credit doesn't allow us to keep borrowing, then the economy comes to a standstill. But you and I are still left with that debt collecting interest. So while that debt is collecting interest and there's no means of paying it, we're left with fines, fees, and penalties for not making payments on time, and it keeps compounding. And eventually, we're forced into bankruptcy, unless something like student loans, where they've made it impossible to discharge. They've made it impossible to discharge student debt. So this albatross at 8% is sitting there hanging around people's necks. Two trillion in student debt hanging around people's necks. And there's nowhere near the economy to support that debt.
think about that for a minute. So let's get back to this. So it says, so you can already see how the crisis started to germinate under Clinton. As his trade and budget policies became a drag on the economy, households spent and went into debt like never before. Economist Stephanie Kelton expounded further and emailed a business insider. Now you might ask, what's the matter with a negative private sector balance? We had that during the Clinton boom. And we had low inflation, decent growth, and very low unemployment. So think about this. I'm going to stop there for a second. Let's stop right there. You have very, 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 very low inflation, but you have very, very high private debt. See, as long as banks and others are able to make interest off of you borrowing money, they don't gouge because they're making money in different ways. They're making passive income on interest. They don't care. But once they realize you've got a little bit of extra cheddar in your back pocket, they start gouging. They start trying to claw some of that money back for themselves. That didn't make costs go up. No, that's greed. Everybody's got a need and a desire in this shitty capitalist economy to save some money for a rainy day. Because after all, there'll be some scoldy little conservative shit fuck telling you should have made better choices, wagging their finger at you. Guys like me, no matter if we get help or not, we always end up because the fucking shit happened before has interest on it and it just keeps coming like a fucking demon. And there's no getting away from this fucking demon. But you'll notice the Clinton economy was based exactly on this. Let's get back to it. Now, you might ask, what's the matter with a negative private sector balance? We had that during the Clinton boom, and we had low inflation, decent growth, and very low unemployment. The Goldilocks economy, as it is known. The great moderation. Again, few economists saw what was happening with any degree of clarity. My colleagues at the Levy Institute were not fooled when Godley, rest in peace, wrote brilliant stuff during this period. While the CBO was predicting surpluses as far as the eye can see, 15 plus years in their forecasts. Because look, the fucking, even the CBO is telling you that a surplus means there's money just sitting around to spend. It's a lie. The government neither has dollars nor doesn't have dollars, folks. The government spends money into existence and it taxes it out of existence. You got to get this fucking through your head or it will never change, folks. We will never, ever, 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 ever survive this if you don't get this so we can organize, take to the streets and fight for our own existence our right to survive. But while the CBO was predicting surpluses as far as the eye can see for 15 plus years in their forecasts, Wynn said it would never happen. He knew it couldn't because the government could only run surpluses for 15 plus years if the domestic private sector ran deficits for 15 plus years. Do you understand what they're saying? In other words, we, 
the people, you and I, would need to be in deficit because there's mirrors. The federal government's on one side of the ledger, the private sector is on the other. When the government spends, if you're looking at a lake from a treetop, you see the trees up here, and then you see the, uh, the, the reflection on the water down there. It's a mirror. Government spending equals private sector deficits. I mean, this is the way it works. Okay? This is the way it works. And so if you understand that's the way it works, you won't be fooled when the CBO tells you that we have surpluses and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Okay? It's ridiculous. But that's the way it is. So let's get back to it. Well, the CPO is predicting surplus as far as the eye can see. 15 plus years was in their forecast. When Godly said it would never happen, he knew it couldn't because the government could only run surpluses for 15 plus years if the domestic private sector ran deficits for 15 plus years. The CBO had it all wrong and they had it wrong because they did not understand the implications of the forecast for the rest of the economy. The private sector cannot survive a negative territory. It cannot go on year after year spending more than its income. It's not like the U.S. government. It cannot support rising indebtedness in perpetuity. It's not a currency issuer. Fuck yeah, look at that. It's not a currency issuer. Folks, it's not a currency. We are, you and I are not a currency issuer. The private sector, Bill Gates, all of those rich people, Elon Musk, not a currency issuer. Eventually, something will give. And when it does, the private sector will retrench. The economy will contract. And the government budget will have to move back into deficit. But think about this. When, the, when it does, the private sector, here we go. The private sector will retrench. That's foreclosures. That's layoffs. That's all kinds of really, really hardcore pain for you and I. The economy will contract. Yes, that's the next step. The economy will contract. And why do you think that the government will suddenly go back into deficit now that the economy is contracted? Let's talk about that for a second. Let's think about why that might be. Why do you think the government would go back into deficit once that happens? It goes back into deficit because there's automatic stabilizers that are baked into the economy. Things like food stamps, things like, um, you know, unemployment insurance, uh, you name it. And so all these Automatic stabilizers are there to keep the economy from tanking. But unfortunately, they're never enough. And that's why you always hear them talk about, we need a stimulus bill. We need a this, we need a that. Well, what you really needed to do was not fucking cut spending to begin with. What you really needed to do was targeted tax increases or regulation or price caps or any number of things. Put put a cap on it, uh, interest. Make interest not a thing. I mean, but the fact is that unfortunately, we don't understand that. We we're, we've got all these like what about isms? What about this? What about that? And people are sending you off chasing James Bond stories instead of learning basic econ. And that, my friends, is what's spicy 
That's what makes YouTube all around. People love that fucking bullshit. They don't want to learn the real story because the real story, I think, is even more James Bondy and cool. But instead, they would rather come up with them because the stuff they came up with while they were hitting a bong. Okay. They were talking to friends over a Bitcoin thing or something like that. And they, yeah, they're debasing the currency, some bullshit that they don't even fucking understand, but they're saying it anyway. Comes off the tongue real spicy, but it's useless. Let's get back to the story here. Remember, government's budget will move back into deficit because of automatic stabilizers. But this is only part of the story. What about Charlie Gasparino wrote above? The Fannie and Freddie boom. When the government is running surplus, it no longer has to issue much debt. But risk-free government bonds are a crucial component of portfolios for all kinds of financial institutions and for mom-and-pop investors who like the safety of regular treasury payouts. The yield on the 10-year bond was over 5% back in those days. Nothing to sneeze at for people planning retirement. This created a bit of a crisis. Bond trader Kevin Ferry, a veteran of the scene, told Business Insider about the panic that was unfolding over the government's lack of debt. Oh my God, they're all saying there wasn't going to be any paper. How did the markets react? Lo and behold, Fannie and Freddie issuance surged in the late 90s, said Ferry. Everything changed while the government dramatically slowed down issuance of treasuries. Fannie and Freddie picked up the baton and started selling debt that, like never before. Prior to those years, there were not regular Fannie and Freddie auctions. The system wanted it. The fear was that there wasn't going to be any. There was no bill auctions. The brokers were calling up Ma and Pa and saying there's no more T-bill auctions. And the data bears this out. Total agency issuance of mortgage-backed securities spiked in 1998 and 1999. Who was president during 1998 and 1999? Folks, let me just ask you clearly. Was it George W. Bush that was in office in 98 and 99? Or was it Brother Bill Clinton? I want to know if in 98 and 99 it was Bush or whether it was brother Bill Clinton. If it was brother Bill Clinton, every person you see talks shit about George Bush, and he should be talked shit about. He's a war criminal. But every one of them that talks shit about that, no, they're full of shit. They're just a fucking partisan hack that's refusing to look at the Democrats for what they are. Disgraceful people, okay? Disgraceful. Go back to the article. So, and the data about total agency issue, 1998, 1989, or 99, that is brother Bill Clinton. Look at all these mortgage-backed securities going through the roof, okay? All back here, they all started, and then it just kept going and going and going. And this, my friends, is how the economy blew up. This is it. And just to drive home the point again, how about how the 98-99 spike in issuance was the mirror image of the annual change in the size of the government debt. Look at this. I wish it were smaller, but it's not. 
but you can look at this in the article I did post it in the chat and I'll post it in show notes. Note both the government debt and agency issuance spiked in the early 2000s, but that was during a recession. Okay, during a recession. Why did we have a recession? That would be Brother Bill's surplus. When the private sector dramatically scaled back its activities from the late 1990s. How Clinton destroyed the economy. The bottom line is that the signature achievement of the Clinton years, the surplus, turns out to have been a deep negative. For this drag on GDP was being counterbalanced by low household savings, high household debt, and the real revving up of Fannie and Freddie debt boom that had a major hand in fueling the boom that ultimately led to the downfall of the economy. In other words, elite control fraud. Ask Bill Black. Watch the con. Check it out. And that brings up a broader question that people who advocate for balanced budgets must answer. What's the point of it? Despite the budget surplus, interest rates were higher and the surplus provided no protection of the coming slump. And if anything, it just weakened the most brittle part of the economy, households. Further, there is a pattern of this. Japan ran a budget surplus in the year right before its economy went into terminal decline, as this chart from Trading Economics shows. Right here. So while... Clinton will be remembered nostalgically tonight for both the performance of the economy and his government finances. They shouldn't be remembered fondly, and that's it. So my hope is that you guys will take time to read that article. It's very important. I'll put it back in here one more time for anybody that's interested in actually reading this. I suggest strongly keeping this in your hand at all times. Be prepared to share this with people. It is old, uh, it's 2012, but this is all really super important stuff. You never want to let this go. You always want to hold on to it because it's happening again right now. The very same thing is happening right now. And I want you to understand something else too. They know this. And if you think about what Reagan did during the 80s and 90s, uh, well, the 80s and carried over to the 90s, what they did was they invested in the war machine. They invested in all of this foreign stuff, trying to build out the Cold War. And they know that nobody is going to complain, not loud enough anyway, at military spending. And remember, I told you there are three ways to get money into the economy. One is imports and exports. If you're exporting, you can bring money in. Two is private debt. That's you and I taking on debt. Or three, the government spends. Well, they know they can't just keep putting money into the economy through debt, through us taking on debt. They know that at some point in time, that debt bubble bursts and the economy will come crashing down. And these sons of bitches aren't into the loan forgiveness. They act like, oh my God, whatever shall we do? Whatever shall we do, we can't possibly, possibly forgive them their debts. What good Christians they are, right? Even though it's biblical as hell. Forgive them their debts. 
okay? They won't do that. So that leaves us with one place and they spend it on the military. So what does Biden and the good Democrats do? They gin up a bit of a, a struggle with China. Little did they know that Russia would give them a second front that they could entertain with that as well. And so you've got China, who originally they were trying to use as the foil for Build Back Better to show they're our real competition, they're our real enemy, China's our real enemy. No, they're not. They might be now, but they're not. And Russia, we still can't forgive them for hurting Hillary's candidacy if they did. <laughs> Their little cart coloring books were Bernie, you know, bulky Bernie, you know. So with that in mind, they are going to use Russia as their foil to get money into the economy, into the military machine, as they've always done. This is payola. This is the payback to the military for being good, good supporters. Okay. And so think about this. When the government spends that first dollar into the economy, whoever gets it first gets it at its max value. Because after that, it starts getting cut, like profit taken out of that dollar, uh, taxes taken out of that dollar, et cetera. And then it's spent to the next person, handed to them. So you think of the first person to receive that dollar as a privileged sort. Now, at the end of the day, a dollar is still a tax credit. So the government agrees to take $1 in tax in tax payment. And you know the rich don't pay shit in taxes. And if taxes actually paid for spending, it would be a totally different story. We could understand why these programs aren't happening because after all, the rich are bankrupting the nation without collecting the taxes from them. However, could we afford these things? So you get well-meaning people thinking somehow or another, we got to go on this chase to tax the rich. Now, don't get me wrong. We should tax the rich. We should tax the shit. We ta tax them out of existence. But not to do the things we need to do, not to fund the programs, because taxing the rich out of existence means taking that money and deleting it. Instead, you could form incentives, whatever, to make them spend that money that they've been holding to make it better for them to spend than to hold something. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we are not beholden to them because tax dollars get deleted. They don't get respent. So every time we hold up life-saving programs based on chasing how we're going to pay for it, okay, we end up getting fucked. And right now we're trapped. We're trapped in this bullshit paradigm. And for those of us that understand federal financing, we understand that's completely unnecessary suffering we're being forced into. But we've got to get millions of people that don't get this to get this because they keep celebrating. Go, go to any Robert Reich post somewhere. Go to any Richard Wolf post somewhere. Go to any of these fools. And the, it, Margaret Kimberly, I love Margaret Kimberly. The left lens, her, she was on there uh, talking about how uh, funding uh, Ukraine, well, we're already funding Ukraine. You're already funding Ukraine if you paid your taxes. No, no, Margaret, please listen to me. Your taxes are deleted, period. Love you to death. Love you beyond words. Your taxes are deleted. Your taxes are deleted. They aren't being respent. 
They don't get spent anywhere. Unless they pass a bill to spend, all you're doing taxing is deleting currency. You're deleting money from the system. That's all you're doing. If you don't offset that spend, uh, that taxing with new spending, the economy starts going like this. And that's what we talked about with the Bill Clinton story. Why won't people, good people, people that are fellow travelers, why won't they get this? Why won't they change the way they say things? Because now I'm telling you right now, I, I'm dead serious. Thank God I've got a angel around here and there that has kept me out of the gutter. But I'm staring down the IRS now too. I'm staring down all the stuff. And it's got me looking at the rafters again, just like I did in 2008, 2009. You get what I'm saying? It's like the weight of all that shit. It just fucking buries you, ages you, makes you grow old right where you're sitting. Makes you feel like it's impossible. Makes you feel like there's nothing. There's no hope. I hope that we can build a movement to do something to change this. But honestly, I see people far more interested in James Bond novels and running around chasing current events than understanding any of what we talked about tonight. And it's crushing. It's fucking crushing. I think it hurts more to watch people that I know have heard me talk before repeating this tax dollar bullshit. I think that really hurts at a personal level. That they would still continue to carry the water for Margaret Thatcher and for Ronald Reagan instead of listening to a fellow revolutionary that's explaining how the finance system works. They would still sit there and fucking hold on to that stupid shit. It kills me. Oh, let's let's do this real quick. I'm going to take a moment here. So there is a picture, and if I can find it real quick, JD Alt dollars and diagrams. Oh. I will walk you through this if I can pull this up. Hopefully I can find one of the images real fast and it'll be really easy. I think I got it. I think I found it. Hmm. Yep, I do. Hot duggity dog. Let me... So I'm going to share my screen one more time. Well, this is, I didn't expect this. I'm going to do it. Strap on, folks. Hold on one more second. Let me walk you through this. This, I think, will help you out immeasurably. I know it helps me. But I'm going to try to shrink this a little bit. Let's see if he has the the real good one down here. I think he's got one more. If that's that might be it right there, the one that I showed you just a second ago. There we go. Now we got it. 
So if you think about this, hold on, let's see how this looks. Does it look okay? Can you all see this okay? If you guys can see this okay, it's great. Um, all right. So I'm going to go ahead and try to walk you through this. Hopefully this, I'm going to, let me put this diagrams and dollars in the chat real quick. This is really good stuff, folks. I hope you guys trust me when I say. My problem was zooming a little bit. I will do it. I'll try. But I start running out of real estate. It's a little too big now. I kind of screwed on this a little bit here. Ah, hold on. Maybe. Maybe I got some real estate here. Hold on. Hey, what do you know? Does that work? Is that better? Can you guys see that okay? Okay, good deal. All right, I'm going to try and walk you through this. So I did put the link in there. So if you guys want, you can go through there and look it up. I, the, the link, Nathaniel, if you look here, I'll, I'll show you this. So you can, oh, wrong one. Daggone it, Wesley. <laughs> Here is the link. It's right above you, Nathaniel's thumbs up. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and hide this real quick. And I'm just going to put your comment back up there because I want it to um, I want it to st stick around. I want everybody to be able to see it um, while we talk about this. If I can find it. Oof. Gosh. Comments, comments. That's good. Yes, I think they finally found it. There we go. All right. So if you look at the federal government, it spreads it. And this PS is the private sector. This FG is the federal government. Okay. And what happens is the government spends. When it spends, it creates money and collective goods and services down here. So when the federal government spends, it creates goods and services. However, when it taxes, it drains it out the bottom. It literally drains it out the bottom. So over here, because of the way our government works, it says we're going to sell offsetting treasuries for every dollar spent. So ultimately, people that already have money take their money and they offer up so many bonds onto the market for them to buy. Those bonds are already pre-funded. The interest is already pre-calculated. They already know what they're going to get. It's not something that, you know, adjusts all over the place. These are safe, safe, safe investments. People usually buy these kinds of bonds as a hedge against more risky investments. Um, and ultimately, they count these as the government debt. But really, the government debt is the the private sector savings to the penny, the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy. That's all that that debt is right there. And so ultimately, new money is spent in to the economy. It goes around in the economy. You buy goods and services with it, whatever. And then when it's taken back to the government in, ta in the form of taxes, it shoots it out. It deletes them right there at the bottom. 
this is kind of a good little graphic for you to understand. Interest payments from the federal government are just adding money to the economy. That's all that is, is interest grows the money supply. Not that it matters because money growth is not what causes inflation. Okay. So ultimately, we could set our interest rate to zero, ZERP. And the bondholders, all these people will be very, very angry after a while because that's, you know, they, they raise interest rates to defend a positive interest rate. Um, but ultimately, this stuff is just simply marking up accounts on a ledger. Marking up accounts on a ledger. They delete or they add. It's that simple. And so, Where's the money go? I don't know. Where's the money go in a calculator when you hit zero? It just is gone. That's all it is because a dollar, this is the hard part. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is hard for me to get. took me a long time to get this. And I, I had a lot of effort to go through to get this. I was a Ron Paul guy. So I was a gold bug. I was a conservative. So all the stupid shit you hear conservatives say, boy, I probably said it. I probably said it back in the day because I was a conservative extraordinaire back in the day. My hard-earned tax dollars, this, that, and the other. I don't want to pay for your lazy blah, 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 okay? A dollar is a unit of measure. It's an inch. It's a pound. You can't see a dollar because it's just a unit of measure. A piece of paper is a coupon representative of that inch or measure, and it ultimately is a creature of the state it's law so we use we use law to basically create this currency this common currency that we all use but the tax the interesting thing about the tax is to take money out of the economy number one but it's like the tether it's what keeps us needing the currency because you can't pay your your taxes in anything other than us dollars you can't buy treasury bonds with anything but U.S. dollars either, by the way. Because treasury bonds are intended to take money out of the economy temporarily, okay? they sort of like taking it out of the economy, like your savings account. You take money sort of out of the economy. When you buy a CD, there's a penalty for pulling the money out too soon, okay? Because the intention of these tools, these debt devices, is to basically to delay a purchasing decision. They're figuring that by putting this money here, we want to make that money more active by spending it on schools or for healthcare or whatever. So we'll sell bonds and those bonds will take money out of the economy elsewhere to prevent you know, inflation or whatever. This is their mindset. And so you have to have an offset. So that's why they sell bonds. You spend money here, you take money over there. It's just give and take, but it doesn't fund the action. It's like an old anachronism, meaning old thing that doesn't matter anymore, like vestigial arms on a fucking T-Rex, okay? It's, it's, it's an anachronism from the gold standard. Because when you printed so much money against the gold, you could debase it, you could devalue it, okay? It's a fixed exchange rate as opposed to a free-floating regime that we have today. So I'm hoping that what I've talked about here has helped um, some folks. I hope people 
I'm just, yes, I love this comment here. James, I'm going to put your comment up on the screen, buddy. This is good. Appreciate it. Everything boils down to a matter of political will and available resources. We as a society can do absolutely anything and everything. We have political will to muster the resource. Very, very good. Really, 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 really appreciate when people get it. Really, really appreciate that. I want to just really hype that up a second. I don't think we pat ourselves on the back enough when people finally get these things. I have no idea. James, you may have known this before me, but I just want to say thank you for putting it out there for other people. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping that when you hear me on status coup or you hear me on, um, <laughs> I like that. Yes. Arms that can't scratch your ass. Or use I had other things in mind there too, but I mean, that's what you need a friend for a reach around. Right. <laughs> anyway. Um, I think that it's important. For us, when you hear me on Status Quo or you hear me on uh, Political Misfits or other shows that I go on, I think it's important for you to understand that even though these are my friends and I like them, they're not 100% on board with MMT, or if they are, they aren't quite sure how to say it, things like that. So it's my job in those opportunities to try my best to present modern monetary theory and explain federal finance because we need to have an army. We need to have you all ready. I'm telling you right now, when there's a study out and you can look it up and they says austerity is social murder and austerity is indeed social murder. And if you look out at what that means, it means when they cut things, people die, people die. And it's very, by not giving us healthcare, they can control population. They can you know, all these wacky ideas of makers and takers and so forth. Yeah, here, let me put this up here. Wesley, good point. Money is a social construct. However, I would caution that framing and say that it's also, it's also law. It's a creature of laws or law as Rowan would say, he always puts the R, law. It's a, it's a creature of law. You know? creature of law and um yes nathaniel you got that right that's exactly correct um it is and you know the, the here's the problem with once you get this and you'll hate me later once you get this you're not going to be able to hear the rest of the bullshit anymore with the same set of ears you're not going to be able to hear it anymore and lose your mind you're going to watch political debates and you're going to say, what the fuck are they talking about? You're going to hear your heroes saying bullshit and you're going to be like, oh my God, fuck them. You're not going to be able to hear them lying on the debate stage without ready to strangle them. Especially when you know how much pain and suffering is being brought on because of that ignorance that they're, they're guilty of pushing. Your favorite alt media are pushing. The regular mainstream media is pushing. Your political candidates are pushing. Even Bernie Sanders was pushing this shit. Nina Turner has pushed this shit. AOC has pushed this shit. 
All of them have. Elizabeth Warren, all of them have. And you say to yourself, well, who has the power of the purse? And that would be Congress. So when you hear somebody's in Congress and they say that shit, and you know that the power of purse is theirs, it's their job, and they don't do it. That's a real devastating consequence of ignorance. And you always hear some fucking white knight ride through to defend the public servant saying, oh, they would be laughed out of Congress if they told the truth. They're laughed out of Congress already talking about climate change. People don't listen to climate change, sadly. Climate crisis, they're still not looking up. What's the difference with getting at least the left on board with understanding how fucking finance works? Why do they do this? I had John Yarmouth on, Macro and Cheese. You should check it out sometime. I'll put that in there too. Let me see if I can find it real quickly. I think that um, everybody should check out Macro and Cheese. I'm going to search for it with you guys momentarily. I will share my screen again. That way you can see where to find stuff. Oh, wrong one. There we go. Let's see how we look here. If we've got a good view. You got a good view, got a good view. All right. So if you go over here, I'm going to real quickly refresh. And I'm going to go over here to media, go over here to Macro and Cheese podcast. Going here, there's my ugly mug. Going here, look for a specific episode. And by the way, we did a three-part series on Mao. I strongly suggest you guys check it out. Very, very good stuff. But I want you to check out this particular macaroni and cheese podcast. And I go back here, look for a specific episode again, and I will do a file find. And it would be Yarm. There we go. I had John Yarmouth and Aaron Yarmouth, his son, on. There it is right there. Back September 25th. It's only 48 minutes long, but it's worth it. You got transcripts and all kinds of good stuff. Folks, I don't know if you guys check out our podcast. I don't know if you do or don't. But I strongly suggest that you do. I strongly suggest that you do. I'm not being biased when I say this. I've gotten feedback from some people who say it's the best damn podcast out there. I'm partial. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I want to agree with them. Um, but I hope, I hope you guys will check it out. So with that in mind, I've got to go to bed. I've really, really got to get to sleep. I'm exhausted. But I'm so terrified of the coming crisis that's coming. I've been through this before and I'm scared. I'm terrified. I'm really terrified. So I hope you guys get excited, get out there, spread the word, help us get the word out there. We're a nonprofit, you know, 
this work here is very important to me. It should be very important to everyone. Um, anyway, I really, really hope that you all will take the time to learn this stuff and um, take the time to fight back, learn to fight back. Anyway, with that, I am going to take a moment for myself, hit the uh, gucci pan, and then I'm going to get my ass to sleep. So with that, guys and gals, I'm going to find my elbow of truth and just say good night, everybody. I'm out of here. The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives. 